This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. I met today's guest last October at the Oregon State Beekeepers Association Conference. We had recently connected on social media, so she wasn't a complete stranger, but I had never met her in person. She greeted me with the most generous hug and a genuine enthusiasm for this show, even though it was still in its infancy. Our paths crossed again in person when we both presented at the Feminine Legacy and Beekeeping Conference last May, and we happened to be staying at the same B&B. It was a totally bonding experience for us, and we've been very close ever since. And though we are separated by a four-hour drive and we don't get to hang out very often, when we do, it is a total B-girl party. This summer, I got to go and visit her at her biodynamic farm in Cottage Grove, which is lovingly named Wild Everlasting. It is a place that is dedicated to the health of pollinators and has been recognized as an Oregon Bee Project flagship farm. I'm so excited to introduce to you my friend and bee goddess, Fanta Molino. Well, first off, thank you, Mandy, for having me because I'm such a big fan of Beekeeper Confidential, and so it's really exciting to be here. You're the first fan of this show. Oh, my goodness. I think you I were. am the OG fan. I really do consider that. And when I say OG, I don't mean original gangster. I mean original goddess. <laughs> Wild Everlasting Farm on the River. <laughs> this place is happening. Oh, my goodness. It sure is. We're really proud of all that we've been doing here. It's 30 acres on the river, organic farm, and we do a lot of biodynamic stuff as well. So it's pretty exciting. And I got to spend the night here last night with my kids. We came out and we camped and they set up this amazing tent for us and we had dinner and a campfire and roasted marshmallows and... This morning, we got to help out with farm chores, and Fanta taught me how to milk a goat. Yes, <laughs> one of my many skills that I possess is milking goats. <laughs> so not only do you milk goats, you're also a beekeeper and a master herbalist. Yes. And how? What, what is the intersection between your work with plants and botany? And your beekeeping. Plants and bees are kind of the whole intention I have set for Wild Everlasting, actually. So being a master herbalist for 16, 17 years that I've been doing um, plant medicine, and I teach a lot of classes in plant medicine. And for me, being an herbalist was to kind of journey into the realm of plants. And so through that exploration of plants, I really started to understand how they required a kinship from a lot of other creatures to do their work as plants. And one of the most important kinships is the relationship of pollinators to plants. And so being here at Wild Everlasting, my intention is to kind of explore the relationship of pollinator-centered farming 
which is interesting. And so um, to me, it's so much the opposite of what we see when we think of like commercial agriculture. It's not bee centered. Yes. Well, that was that was kind of the information I was getting actually from my work with plants was that these practices inform each other. And so if we look at it from this very like anthropocentric viewpoint, we we see that a lot of farming is just about what can these creatures offer me as a human. And for me, it was kind of going beyond that and seeing my place not as the top of this like pyramid of, you know, hierarchy. It was more to see myself in place of this um, web of life. And Mm -hmm. so I see that I'm just another link in the chain here, so to speak. And these plants and pollinators have had an ancient relationship that goes much further back than humans here on this planet. And so just as the more I kind of delve into that history, I see how that's actually where we need to go back to, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like this ancient futurism because it's like taking those things from ancient times and realizing how applicable, like with all of our technology, with all of our success as a human being, here we stand at this point in time where we actually aren't making things better for the environment and mm-hmm. we're actually not very um, well equipped to handle our future. And I really believe that that centering the relationships back into their ancient standpoint is really where we need to go. And so for me, these are kind of the apex and pinnacle of that um, relationship. And so becoming a beekeeper has just completely blown my mind in terms of like being able to understand plants better. And each practice, beekeeping and being a herbalist and farmer, they very much inform each other. And that's a gospel that I'm trying to share Mm -hmm. here on this farm by planting large amounts of area to pollinator-centered plants. And turns out that what's good for pollinators is really good for humans. And so it's kind of a beautiful thing. Like it's all really connected and it's fun to watch it all bloom. (laughs) It's amazing to me that, you know, when people ask about what's killing the pollinators, how like poor nutrition is, is one of the top causes. Right. And so the work that you're doing and demonstrating and teaching, you have a wonderful botany for beekeepers class that you teach. You're showing people that it's it's a holistic approach to beekeeping and that, right. that that nutritional aspect, it doesn't just come in giving them nutritional supplements in the hive. You're Absolutely. providing the forage for them that, that they truly need. It's true. And it's interesting, too, because that allegory also works for humans. Like our problem, a lot of our issues come from nutritional deficiencies. And um, the great Rudolf Steiner, who is the father of biodynamic farming and Waldorf schools, he said the key to spiritual disharmony is poor nutrition. And when we look at what is um, good for bees, we also see that it's good for humans. And so bees love the aromatic herbs. They love the fruit flowers of fruit trees. And so when we really see what, when we do things in a way that is aligned with their needs, it turns out that it also aligns with our own. That's powerful. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Well, tell me about your hives. You have these amazingly painted hives and they're all (laughs) named. Yes, I am one of the beekeepers that gets really into hive painting and (laughs) naming my queens. And I've caught flack from that in the beekeeping community before because people think I put a lot of energy into that and maybe it's not that important. And I think in all things, it's what is important is important to you. And 
For me, um, it's a great off-season activity, and it keeps me thinking about my bees. I do have kind of a bit of woo in me when it comes to beekeeping, and so it's kind of, you know, become an aspect of my spiritual practice as well, which Mm -hmm. is pretty intriguing. And each one of my hives is named after a different beekeeping goddess. And that is kind of an expression of how, for me, beekeeping has been a feminist act. And it was a way for me to connect into my medicine for the planet and like why I'm here. And part of that energy is really reclaiming my inner goddess in a way. And I was basically pregnant and or breastfeeding for 10 years straight. (laughs) And I homeschooled all my kids and I ran a farm and a homestead and grew a lot of my own food and came to this point where my kids were getting older and I just really needed something and beekeeping came into my life at that time and so it was just something that was just my own my husband isn't involved with it and I've really just used it as a way to express myself in a lot of different ways and so one of the ways I do is by naming my bees um, after different beekeeping goddesses. And then I actually paint the hives and I put a lot of prayers on the hives. And because I feel that the bees are great carriers of energy and they take my prayers out there into the world. And and it's just a really kind of cathartic thing for me personally. Mm-hmm. And it also opens up a chance when I have students and different people come toward the farm It's kind of fun for me to be able to open that dialogue about each goddess and people love folklore and I love history and folklore. And so it's really fun for me to get to tell these stories about these different goddesses. I love doing farm tours and I have all different ways that people can schedule farm tours and be a part of what's happening here at Wild Everlasting. And we do work parties and I teach my beekeeping classes and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But I started a beekeeping school called Sun Queen School of AP arts and that's been my you know pet project and and it's just really like my baby right now it's in its first year and we're really doing great things and so um, Sun Queen has all kinds of apiary days that people come out here to the farm and you'll get the full spill on all the different goddesses and what they mean (laughs) to beekeeping and the roots of how they have affected beekeeping in different cultures. I've been researching different kinds of spiritualities since I was a child. I've always been interested in different viewpoints about spirituality and one of the interesting things that I found is that every culture has a different beekeeping beekeeping goddess and every culture has a different aspect of beekeeping that's deeply embedded in the culture that has that tradition. But here in North America, we have an interesting perspective because we aren't raised in the same way. We don't have culture expressed the same way as other places. And so in some ways, we're kind of like this little orphan that has been like cut off from a lot of the traditions that we come from, right? And then also we simultaneously have a situation where we're actually inhabiting and benefiting from stolen land that came from ancestral people of this land. And right now we're sitting here doing this interview on the ancestral land of the Kalapuya people. And one of the things that I really thought I've thought a lot about is that I think as an orphan culture, we often are looking around trying to find meaning and culture in what we do because we haven't been raised with it. 
and you hear a lot about cultural appropriation and people trying to, you know, kind of cherry pick other people's traditions just to give themselves something, mm -hmm. right? And I think that can be very offensive to ancestral people that are still trying to reclaim their own traditions. And so one of the things that I started to realize when I would meditate on the honeybee is that the honeybee is such a perfect example and symbol of the kind of people that we should be. And I think that we'll never be indigenous. We'll never be indigenous to this land. Our ancestral people did not come from this land. But what we can do is naturalize and learn to live on this land in a good way. And I think the honeybee is such a wonderful symbol for that because they too are not from this land, but they came here and they've naturalized and they've done nothing but offer wonderful gifts to this environment and find a way to pollinate and to give supremely in such a good way. And so if we can kind of take on that symbol of the honeybee as a way to live on this land and to be here in a good way, I think that we'd be really on the right track. That's so kind of what I have to good. offer with, with that. <laughs> That was so well said. Aww. Oh my god, you're gonna well, give people chills. Oh my goodness. Well, I really want are. I want people to really think about that, and that's something I actually brought that up to Marla Bullbear mm -hmm. um, of the Lakota Honey Lodge, and I told her that, and it was very moving to her, I think, and to hear that we understand, you know, that we benefit from someone else's genocide, and that that not farm life still yes. happening that that is is a consideration that we're going to take into anything that we do mm -hmm. is just so important and it's really the only way to move forward to change things to a good way and I think beekeeping is interesting because you really see it as a bridge there's so many different perspectives people have in beekeeping so many different ways to do it and it's really a bridge of togetherness and I think it's been traditionally maybe not recognized as such because there is a lot of um, competition in beekeeping mm -hmm. but I really feel like especially you and Mandy Mandy you and I have talked about this like I really feel that we are part of that new way of being of really just sharing that love and sharing that the honor of doing this work and sharing our platform and yeah. you know really kind of making room for other people at the table like I yeah. think that's the way forward. Yes. And at breakfast this morning over our coffee and sausage <laughs> and waffles, we were talking about how like beekeeping is really hard now. Mm -hmm. There's so many things going on and there's so many different ways of handling the, the problems that can arise in your beehive. But there's also so much negativity and competition and really strong opinions and what we need to be doing is coming together. Right. There, I think the resourcefulness is maybe like the, the biggest asset that we can offer to other beekeepers. And it, can you just imagine a world of beekeeping where it wasn't just about my bees or your bees. It was about our bees yeah. and how we could share resources and, you know, share queens and share genetic material. I mean, if we're just going to covet our own, you know, success in our own apiaries, like how much are we doing for the bees? Right. And I think there are a lot of people that get into beekeeping nowadays because they realize like, yes, the pollinators are, are facing extinction. Well, maybe that's a little bit extreme. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but it, they, they want to help. Right. And I think that the way to help is to 
hone your craft, do well, and then share that with the community around you. You don't have to be protective of it. You don't have to. It's not proprietary information. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, this was pretty much ancestral knowledge for ancient peoples cross-culturally. And um, I have a lot of my ancestry comes from Wales. And Wales was like originally like the Isle of Honey. Um, and so a oh, lot wow. of the European bee culture comes from Wales. And there it was just like a method of currency. And it's been that way in lots of different cultures. And so in, in, in some sense, like everybody used to do beekeeping and it was very much a part of like daily life. And so to kind of center it back in that way, I think is like a really beautiful way to contribute to the saving of the bees. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think that we like throw that out there, like save the bees, you know, and I have in Sun Queen School, that's one of the first questions I ask all my students is what makes you want to beekeep? And so many students say it's because they want to save the bees. But are we saving the bees if we're just going to effectively like not know what we're doing and keep killing the bees? And Mm -hmm. so beekeeping education is such a big deal and doing your research. Those are all wonderful things. But if we don't really actually get out there and learn from folks and, you know, share kind of that muscle memory of this is how it's done. This is what it looks like. And I don't know that we'll be able to make a dent there because us keeping bees isn't really saving the bees. It's really doing right by our bees that's going to save. So it's fun to share that. And that's really why I created Sun Queen School was to kind of share the education. And I basically wanted to create a method of educating other beekeepers that I wished I had had. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, our local um, area has just one day a year for beekeeping education. And there's kind of a few more sprinkled classes in there. But I really feel that if you really want to do beekeeping, you kind of have to have some skin in the game. You really, you can't just, I mean, long gone are the golden days of beekeeping when you could throw them in a hive and let them do their thing like it's just not like that anymore and so it's really up to us to hold it down and share with each other the best methods and obviously all beekeeping is local so it's really about connecting locally to different folks and sharing it let's all take a cue from the bees and their sense of community and engage in that with our own community it's so critical yes they're so so far evolved i mean how many creatures have evolved in the spirit of community and I really think you know again goes back to that symbol of the honeybee is so wonderful like yeah can we evolve in the spirit of community it, it, it would be great <laughs> how did it all begin for you so ever since I was a child I'd always like been super fascinated by nature and bugs and just to be funny on a side note my dad was actually an exterminator growing up (laughs) so part of my work here is to mitigate the karma that my dad probably um upholds from being an exterminator for years yeah and so I kind of grew up with this energetic of like bugs were bad and we didn't want bugs and you know all that kind of energy but I kind of never really bought that idea too much and I just enjoyed paying attention to nature and I kind of always had that ethereal nature to just spend uninterrupted time in nature and just observing. And so during the course of my life, I've really had some interesting experiences with nature where I've just been in the right place at the right time to see some kind of mystical event occur with animals. And so I've just kind of always had that. And so when I first moved to this property of Wild Everlasting, I was doing some outside work and I was just really feeling it. Like I was just kind of like, 
I can't believe I have this beautiful piece of land and I get to be here and it's just so special and I'm just so lucky. And I was just really feeling this gratitude in my heart. And so I went inside and I was doing homeschool lessons with the children and we happened to be studying botany. And so we were sitting at the table and we had all of our books out and the kids were drawing their main lesson page on botany and happened to be about angiosperms and flowering plants. So it was like very like, you know, <laughs> on point and every level. And my son was facing the big windows in the kitchen and he just looks at me he just had this like jaw drop look on his face and he's like what's that and we look over and we see them and they're coming in and it was just this huge swarm flying across the fields right in front of the house and I'm like oh my gosh it's a bee swarm and so we jump up and we like run outside and we just kind of expected them to like pass over and sure enough they land in the apple tree right in the front yard and they're only like about six feet up Oh my gosh. So it was just so like, just such an experience. Like we were all standing right out in the middle of it because we knew a lot about honeybees. We'd had beekeeping friends and um, I used to have a nursery and tea house where I had a beekeeper that would come in and teach beekeeping classes. And so I've had a lot of um, peripheral information about bees before I got into it. And so I knew that they were calm in their swarming times. And so we were like standing out in the middle of it and they were flying all around us. We were taking video and watching them land and they finally like all clustered into their ball and it was quite big. It was at the time because I was so new, I didn't realize how big it was. But later on now, when I look back, I'm like, wow, that was like a monster swarm. I don't know that I've ever caught one as big as that since. Wow. So it was really big. And they're like, hi, Fanta. We're yeah. here. Oh, they totally were. They were like so here for me. <laughs> and what was funny was they actually, the cluster was like two footballs and it formed a heart. I still have the picture. Oh, and my so God. that symbol for me, I um, part of my plant knowledge is Doctrine of Signatures work. And that's where plants manifest different shapes and colors to indicate different medicinal properties and all different things like that. And so that heart shape was really like this message to me that like, they were here for me and I really do believe that they were and so I didn't have a hive I didn't have gear I didn't have anything and I just looked at the kids and said I'm gonna get them and the kids <laughs> were like wait what and I'm like no I'm gonna I'm gonna catch that swarm I'm gonna I'm gonna put them in a box and they were like wait no you're not and I'm like yeah yeah I am and luckily my husband was out of town because he's such <laughs> a worrywart he would have never allowed this to go down um and so um I made the kids go inside because I didn't know how they would react and I wrapped like five sarongs around me and I had like a snow jacket on <laughs> <laughs> if I wish they would have made a video of this, but I was like not sure how it was going to go down. So I basically like would not allow them to take a video of me in the, in the act. If I, if I were here for like an entire week and we ate some pot brownies, <laughs> we would need to film a reenactment video, like could, dramatic really, reenactment. It would be really funny too, because <laughs> I did not know what I was doing. Never done anything like this before. So I had a little hearth broom. And I had a U-Haul box. And <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell. Um, and so I just kind of shimmied up a little ladder to right underneath it. And I um, 
put the box and mind you I did not I don't have good internet out here so there was no way to like view YouTube videos and like catch up on what I was supposed to do before I did it so <laughs> I was really flying blind or winging it as we winging say it. <laughs> <laughs> kicking it old school oh, back totally. before the days of YouTube yes we sure do out here like that. yes we're fairly Luddite in our um, technology situation here so um, anyway so I climb up the thing and I'm like really ready for it and so of course I did one big sweep to try to get it and it was kind of weird because it was on a forked branch so you know how that goes it's Uh, not easy to like just get them and so but also I like didn't want to hurt them and so I didn't sweep near I just like kind of made them angry and so one big clump did drop but it clearly did not have the queen in it because they proceeded to like all fly all around and go really crazy and I got stung actually about 10 times so oh, it was girl. kind of a thing but then after I'd already got stung 10 times at that point I was just like I was in it like I'm like nope now I know like after that one sweep it really kind of taught me what I needed to do Mm -hmm. to really get them so the kids were just like mom come inside what are you doing no 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 and I'm like I got this like I got this and so I climbed back up and I this time I did it much much harder and I was able to get the majority of the clump to fall in and clearly I got the queen that time and so everybody else followed and then (laughs) I I just kind of let the box there and there was like the handle hole and so they all kept flying in the little handle hole and so then all of a sudden I realized like I had them and I was just like oh my gosh and so I was so excited and so my daughter was in Eugene and I called her and I was like go by glory be and get me a, a hive box and like all this stuff and so she like went and got me like a hive on the spot and like it was totally like not like what I would do had I gone back and picked out my own thing so it was like totally like a you know whatever like pre-made pre-painted box they had with like plastic frames and like oh yeah <laughs> the kit the kit the beginner's so kit. the beginner's wow. kit but I didn't have like anything like a suit. I didn't even have a smoker or anything. And so my husband gets into town that night and I'm like, okay, well like we have to hive these bees, you know? And so we put the good old sheet down and he, we opened the box and that was like the moment it hit me. It was almost like that was where, when I got scared is because just opening that box and seeing, I mean, quite literally, it seemed like it was like maybe 40 to 50,000 bees just completely lined up on every single inch of the inside because it was such a big swarm and they're just like looking at you like okay what's what's up what are we doing (laughs) it was actually a little terrifying at that point I was like what did I get myself into here like oh my goodness anyway we just like hived them in and they all marched in and I still have pictures of that too going up the little sheet marching into the door and they just stuck after that and it was funny because I made a this is when I first got my taste of how interesting the beekeeping community is because I being in the farming community for as long as we have we do have a lot of beekeeper friends and I put up a Facebook post and I said look I caught this swarm isn't it cool like blah 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 and there was a lot of people that were encouraged and thought it was really cool but there were a lot of people that wrote a lot of snarky messages that were like well hopefully you got the queen and yeah right they probably won't stay and just really snarky about it and I was like oh what's this like major jealousy I know but they did stick and actually in subsequent years all of my genetics came from that original I did end up developing my own way of baiting and doing 
doing my bait hives, which is like my forte, but I did a lot of expansion off of that original hive. And so and that, that is, can happen. It really can. That's, those are the bees that everybody wants. That's right. And that's what I heard. And it's really funny because um, for all the years I've ever been doing beekeeping, I've only had feral bees. And so I really got used to their temperament and the mm-hmm. way that they are. And, and, you know, I know a lot of ins and outs and just the way they look and everything. And so this year, for the first time, I brought in genetics from outside and got other bees. And I'm like, oh, wow, turns out, like, bees are nice. Like, <laughs> you can work it without can gloves. Happen. You can, like, you know, not be full suit when you go out there because feral bees are kind of, like, I don't want to say they're nasty, but, you know, they're edgy. And, yeah. you're, you know, you just can't can't do anything with them without expecting a little bit of overboiling and <laughs> we'll push back. We'll push back. So <laughs> I'm actually enjoying these newbies. I'm like, oh, they're so sweet. And they're still doing such a great job at all the things yeah. they're supposed to. So yeah. <laughs> there's something to this. <laughs> so yes. And I'm really excited to be um, having some Mandy Shaw genetics up in here, <laughs> up in this apiary. <laughs> And she, um, Mandy, I got to go up to Mandy's apiary and um, do some hive splitting with her. And we were able to break off a little nuke. And we had this sweet little ethereal experience. Do you want to tell the story of the queen? Well, it was so amazing. So this hive was a split that I had made at, at like the earliest possible moment this spring. So she was brand new, but she was laying and just totally doing awesome. And she's the daughter of a hive that I've had that was from a swarm that I've had for a few years that I've been doing like Fanta has expanding those genetics because they're good. And so Fanta's apiary got hit hard by this freak snowstorm and she's rebuilding her apiary this year. So I'm like, girl, (laughs) come up. I'll get you some bees. So she drove, what, three hours to come to my apiary in Westland, and and her daughter came with her too. And it was so cool to have guests, because I usually don't have people come and visit me there, for one thing. And then to get to open up some of my hives and show her, like, the stuff that I'm doing there. But I knew which I knew who I wanted to give her. I wanted to give her this this hive with this queen because she was new and she was doing a really good job. And so it was only in a 10 frame deep. So we're like looking through it and we're going to break off into five frames so she can transport it home. And we moved like a couple frames. It had lots of capped brood on them. Everything's looking good. And then we find the frame that has the queen on it. And we're holding it up over the nuke box but standing up and the nuke is on the ground and we're like looking at her and then she flies off of the frame (laughs) into the nuke box (laughs) i've never seen a queen jump a frame like that before (laughs) and we just thought it was so cool and i said fanta she wants to go with you like she's saying yep She's good. I'm going with her. It's all good. I'm going to go live at Wild Everlasting Farm. Totally. It, I think, like, it couldn't have been more more surreal, more perfect. It was. It was really cosmic because we kind of just, like, when she just, like, originally jumped off, we almost were all stunned. We're like, oh, like she was going to, like, fly away. And then she was just like, <laughs> right into the Yep. <laughs> she box. landed on those frames. 
And then we saw her big old butt go down yeah. in between them and like, okay, well, it, yeah, she's made her ruling. It was like, great. And yeah. then on the drive home, it was really funny because I had taped up the nukes like really good, but we kept getting escapees. And so my daughter Isla's <laughs> in the back and she's an avid beekeeper herself. So she's not afraid of bees, but she was like giving me the count. She's like, there's three bees loose. There's five bees loose. There's seven bees loose. And there were 15 bees loose by the time we got home. And she would like, we refused to open the windows to like let them out. And so it was really funny. Like when we opened the back of the car, I pulled up next to the apiary. They all like glammed onto the box. And so we like got them all in. I love that. (laughs) They've been very prolific ever since they've been here. (laughs) And they're in um, the Egyptian goddess Nui. That's the hive that they went into. So they're pretty special. So I'm excited to have them be here. Thank you, Mandy. Yes. And that's what, that's what it's about. I mean, when we talk about the community and the sharing of information, you don't have to share your bees with everybody. But I mean, that just help each other out. Because yeah. there's a lot of karma involved here. I, I really think so. And right. I think that like the more that you put into your beekeeping and the more you put into the community, the more you'll get back from it. That's it's right. like that Beatles song. <laughs> love you take is equal to the love you make That's or something right. like that. That's so true. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you've just been such a, just the way that you do your show to me really kind of exemplifies your belief in that because it's really just sharing that platform and, you know, hearing about what other people are doing and understanding that there's so many different perspectives and we all hold a piece of that truth and we're kind of yeah. weaving our truth together to build this tapestry of, of beekeeping. And, you know, we're just kind of the newest folks that are um, doing this work, but it's been woven for a long time. And I think the more that we allow these different threads to come in, the more beautiful it's going to be. And so I'm just so grateful to have known you, Mandy, because just in the short time that we've been friends, we've just had so much fun sharing things. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. To learn more about Fanta and her work with the Sun Queen School of Apiary Arts and Wild Everlasting Farm, follow her on Facebook or Instagram at Wild Everlasting Farm. For pictures and links to her accounts, check out my blog at waggleworkspdx.com. If you've been enjoying the show and want to help support the work that we do here, consider liking or sharing us on social media. You can leave a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Or if you want to go all out, you can even become a patron by visiting patreon.com forward slash Mandy Shaw. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Confidential is a Waggle Works production and is written and produced. 
by Mandy Shaw. Jeez, Fanta, you're so good. Oh, my goodness. So, yes. Yeah, there's so much going on, too, in the beekeeping world. So it's kind of fun to stay abreast of it all. So your show really helps me do that. I love that. Yeah. (laughs)